Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. came to mind this last week that I had to verify with Dave. I was like, did this, I remember this thing, did it actually happen? And it did. And he filled in the details. He, he helped me remember that it was back in around 2010, Dave came to me and he said, I want us to buy stock in Netflix. And honestly, I thought that was kind of dumb. I was like, wait, why? Like, I, 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 and I don't pay attention to the stock market. I don't know anything about it, but it just kind of felt like, that looks fun. Let's buy stock in that fun movie thing. And I was like, what is that going to do? But, and, and, and add to that, it was 2010. And at that time, if you remember Netflix, what they used to do was send you DVDs in the mail, right? They'd mail you a DVD, you'd watch it, you'd send it back, then you'd get a new one or you'd lose it or your DVD player would eat it as happened to us one time. Um, But that was in theory how it was supposed to work. And they were trying to switch, you know, to to not be sending the, the physical DVDs in the mail, but to a streaming service, which nobody had really heard of before. So they were trying to make that switch. It wasn't going really well. And, and again, just kind of consumer trust in it wasn't there yet. And so their stock went from bad to worse. And so again, Dave's coming to me saying, I want to buy their stock. I think that'd be fun. And I was like, eh, okay. But I, you know, again, I don't know stuff, so sure, do it. Well, that was 2010. Netflix stock wasn't doing so great now. Um, anyone want to hazard to guess how Netflix is doing in 2021? like when everybody has spent the last year and a half just at home binge watching whatever they can find on Netflix, right? They're doing all right for themselves. So Dave was right, and he loves it when I say that. Uh, On that 2010 investment, we made a pretty decent return. And I thought about that this week. It came to mind because uh, I was thinking about this reality, this truth about you and me, all of us. We are all investors. Regardless of whether or not we have any stock of any kind, we are all investors. We all take the resources that we have and we invest them in something hoping that we'll get a good return. For instance, right? Anybody who owns a home or rents an apartment, if you pay money on a mortgage, you pay money for rent, you are investing in having shelter. You are investing on that shelter, providing you, returning to you comfort and safety from the elements outside. If you own a car, you've ever made a payment on a car, you're investing in transportation. The return you get is you get to take yourself the places you want to go. Dave and I, over the last 10 years, uh, and we hope to be done with this someday, maybe, probably not, we have invested a lot of money in babysitters and daycares and nannies because we would really like the return of having some time to have a couple hours here and there of uninterrupted work. We all invest in something, is the point. We spend our most valuable resources, which, as we talked about last week, for most of us, that's our time and our money, we spend our resources, we invest them, hoping to get a return. So the question I want us to think about this morning is, what's our ROI, right? What's our return on investment? Or another way to put it would be, what is what you are giving to give back to you? 
right? What is what you're giving to give back to you? In the portion of the Sermon on the Mount we're going to look at today, Jesus offers a pretty incredible investment strategy. According to Jesus, if we're willing to make the investment, we have the potential to reap a pretty incredible return. And here's what he has to say. He says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worst, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If, you're, if you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? And instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gets, gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take care of you, or take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over those things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up over what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So right from the outset here, I want to just remind us, kind of level set here, that the Sermon on the Mount is directed toward disciples, toward men and women who have made the commitment to be followers of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus says here today, including the rest of the sermon, but, but what we're looking at today, what Jesus says, how we spend our treasure, what we do with our time and our money, this is for the disciples. So if you're here today and, and you're not sure, you have not yet made that commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to say, first and foremost, we're so glad that you're here but I, I want you to just listen to this with a little bit of a filter. 
to say, you know, what, what, what Jesus wants from you way, way more than your money is your heart. And so with everything that we're talking about today, just kind of reframe it a little bit and say, what would it look like not to give my time, not to give my money, but what would it mean to give myself to Jesus? Because that's what he wants most of all. But for the rest of us, for those of us who already would consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus wants to talk to us. He wants to invite us to consider his investment plan about And we're going to talk about that, about what Jesus is inviting us to invest in and the return we might expect to get from it. So we're going to talk about a few of those those returns here in a second, and then we're going to get really practical today. I want want to give us a really clear step forward starting this next week of, of the ways that we can put Jesus' invitation, his investment plan, into practice here at Paoli Presbyterian Church. So jumping in, Jesus' investment strategy is really, really simple. He puts it like this. He says, don't hoard treasure down here. Stockpile treasure in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to stockpile treasure in heaven? To me, simply put, Jesus is inviting us to invest our treasure, our time, and our money to invest our treasure in the places and people where we see God at work. The places and people where we see that God is alive. Those spaces and places in which we sense that heaven is touching down on earth. Invest, stockpile your treasure in heaven. If you do that, Jesus says, you're going to get a return. And as good as that 2010 investment in Netflix was, these returns are way, way better. I just want to list a few of them. The first return on that kind of investment that Jesus offers, he says, is connection. It's relational connection. Investing your time and your money in the generous, generously in the work of God and in the people of God, it just creates connection, deep and meaningful connection. Jesus says, the place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be, and you'll end up being. I might tweak it a little bit to say, the people with whom your treasure is, where they are the ones you'll most want to be with, and you'll end up being. Giving just generosity, it just creates this relational connection with the people around us. I love this line from poet Wendell Berry. He writes, There are moments when the heart is generous, and then it knows that for better or worse, our lives are woven together here, one with another, and with the place, and with all living things. It's just true. When we are generous with our money and with our time, it creates a connection with the people we're generous to. There's this back and forth connection. Our hearts are more with them and them with ours. It's just a blessing that goes with generosity. We get that gift of connection. The second return on our investment that Jesus offers is freedom. Freedom. One of the most preeminent theologians of the 20th century is a guy named Bob Dylan. You heard of him? He says this. He had these uh, famous line from a song. He says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus said something pretty, pretty similar to that. He said, you can't worship two gods at once. 
Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. You're going to have to serve somebody. And the reality is, is that if you end up serving money, you will find yourselves enslaved. When you serve money, you end up enslaved. You end up enslaved to your work. You end up enslaved to the constant pursuit of bigger and better and more and more. You find yourself enslaved to the burden of thinking it all depends on me. And we can be free from that, Jesus says. He says if you decide for God living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss. You don't fuss about your next paycheck. You don't fuss about your next purchase. You don't fuss about your, your next promotion at work because you know that it's not about you and it's not all up to you. Knowing that there is nothing in this world that I have that God did not give to me, it frees me. It frees me to invest my treasure in heaven. Third thing we get when we invest our treasure in heaven is peace told you before about a, a just really, really wonderful, really enlightening book I read a couple years ago called The Paradox of Generosity. It's a sociological study that was written a few years ago. Uh, the Christian Smith, who's a sociologist at Notre Dame, he and a team together interviewed 2,000 people across the spectrum of the United States uh, to learn, their goal was kind of to learn what makes the good life, you know, what makes people really happy and healthy in every way. And, and they summed up their findings with the, these couple sentences. He says, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in return. By spending ourselves or others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. All throughout the book, they kind of parallel and, and, and compare these kind of two ways of being, two ways of life that they characterized as the generous life and the ungenerous life. And they, they, in that, when they looked at people who do and do not make a regular practice of taking significant portions of their treasure, their time and their money, and giving some of that away, some who do and some who don't. And what they discovered is that in every dimension of our lives, every dimension that they studied in, in people's physical health, in having a purpose for living, in general happiness and well-being, in, in every sphere of life, generous people were enriched in every way and ungenerous people weren't. And one of the, the key areas, why I brought this up in this particular point, is one of the key areas they saw was the difference in anxiety that they found that over and over again, the people who kind of were lived a life of less generosity, more holding on to their stuff, were really, really anxious. I mean, one of the reasons they held on to all their stuff was that they saw the world as a place of scarcity, that there's just not enough to go around, so I gotta hold on to what I got because I might lose it at any minute. And they were anxious. And Jesus came to give us peace. He said it outright. I love this. He says, what I'm trying to get you to do is relax. Don't be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And in this study, that's what people found. The generous folks, they were just content. That's a gift that they received. 
So one thing, final thing that you'll get from following Jesus' investment plan, he says, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth, moths and rust and burglars. In other words, where it's going to last potentially forever. Jesus gives us this opportunity to invest in something that's going to last forever. And here's where we're going to get really practical with this. As we said last week, this is stewardship season, you know, the time of year where we talk about what Jesus talked about in terms of our money and our time and our talents and how we offer those things to him. And we're asking everybody to consider, everybody who considers themselves a part of Paoli Presbyterian Church to prayerfully consider how you might give both of your finances and of your time in this coming year. And we talked last week specifically about that financial piece, how you might consider stepping up in your giving in this coming year. And we encourage and welcome everybody to consider, continue considering that. But we're asking something, something else too. We're asking a second thing this year for you to consider committing to. And that's not just stepping up in giving, but it's stepping out in service. And here's what we mean by that. You know, COVID, we get to blame COVID for a long time for a lot of stuff, right? It's messed up a lot of things. And the reality is COVID messed up kind of what church is supposed to be for a little while, right? Like we did our very best, but for a little while there, church became something that you watched rather than something that we are, right? Like, and, and you guys, don't get me wrong, like this church, I, I couldn't brag more about you in this coming, or this past year, I couldn't. You, you guys stepped up in every way to be the church the best you could, Right, But there just weren't a lot of opportunities for, for us to be and do the things that made us church. Because the reality was God's plan for the church was not that a whole bunch of paid people would do all kinds of things for everybody else to watch. That's not what God had in mind. God's plan, God's vision for the church all along were that the ministers would be, not me, not Jonathan, not the paid staff, the ministers are everybody. They're all y'all. The church is 100% a voluntary organization. The only reason we have a paid staff at all is to facilitate all of us being the church together. That's God's intention. God's intention is that Jesus Christ is the head of his church and we, the people, are his body. I love how St. Teresa of Avila talks about that. She writes, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So acting as Christ's body over this coming year, we're asking you to invest your time, your time here in the ministries of Paoli Presbyterian Church. 
This last week we sent out a letter. I don't know if it's hit your mailboxes yet. If it hasn't yet, it will soon. But in that letter, we included this estimate of giving card. We do that as a part of our stewardship campaign every year. And again, it has a space to make your commitment to what you're going to do financially in the coming year. And we're asking everybody when you get this, and if you don't get our mail, there's a whole stack of these cards over there as well. Uh, we're asking everyone, if you can, to bring it, fill it out and bring it back for worship next week. We want to be able to dedicate these joyfully when we come and receive communion that we're, we're recognizing that anything we give is a response to what God has already given to us. And so we want to do that in worship. We know for the folks who are watching online, there's a way to do this online and, and we'll dedicate that in worship as well. But this has, in addition to what you might commit financially, it also has a place where you can commit your time. And we've given four specific examples, uh, invitations, of ways that you can commit that time in this coming year. And I want to say, first, before I get into what they are and why they are, I, I want to say this is by no means an exhaustive list. Four things is not an exhaustive list of ministries of Paoli Presbyterian Church. There's a lot more you can do than what is listed here. So there is an other, if what is listed here isn't something that you feel called to do. Um, but it is, these four are the ones that we have chosen because we believe that for where we are as a church right now, these are the areas that you can make the greatest impact, both today and as Jesus promised for eternity to come. So that's, that's one thing to say about why these four are there. The second is, I know many of you will notice that, that none of these are particularly mission-related. These are all related to church in here, serving inside the church. And that by no means reflects a lack of a commitment to and a passion for mission. Far from it. In fact, we have made the commitment that every month, the second Sunday of every month, we're highlighting one of our mission partners so that you can know about this, so you can pray about them, so you can get involved with them. We want to and will continue to be a church who loves and supports and does mission. But again, as I said, we chose these four specifically just because we really do truly believe that these can have the greatest impact both on the ministry that's done, but more importantly, on the people who are doing it. If you get involved in these ways, it's going to make a difference for you. So I'll highlight them quickly. I'll group the first two together. The first two are children and family ministry and student ministry. These are kind of really relational ministries, and they're really, really important you know, study after study has shown us that children and teenagers, they just really, really need adults who are willing to invest in their lives. Scientific study has shown that children and teenagers who have, have other adults, mentor-like relationships other than their parents, people who have those kind of relationships in their lives have uh, less likelihood of kind of negative external behaviors like bullying and less internal negative behaviors like depression. Kids who have adult mentors in their lives are more likely to complete the tasks they start, remain calm in the face of challenges, show interest in learning new things, volunteer in the community, engage in physical activities, participate in out-of-school activities, and be more engaged in school. That seems pretty important, right? That seems pretty helpful. So knowing all this, there's a, a guy named Chap Clark. He's a family ministry expert and author. He, he said this. He said, you know what? I think every kid in every church should have five adult fans in their lives. He writes this. He says, any young person who shows any interest in Christ needs a minimum 
of five people of various ages who will say, I'm going to love that kid until they are fully walking as an adult member of this congregation. So I just want us to just picture that for a minute. What if we really took that seriously? What if we took that seriously and made that happen here for all the kids and students in our church to have five other adults in their life who are guiding them and giving them input? Five adults who are listening to their hopes and dreams. Five people who know their quirks and their good points. Five people who can offer wisdom when life gets confusing. Five people who will care about them and pray for them. Five adults who will point them to Jesus. Can you just picture what a difference that would make for our kids now, but for their lifetime? What an incredible difference would that make? If you have any, any interest in learning more about that, you can check one of those boxes, our children's ministry or our students. The second two I'll group together as well. Uh, if, if these first two are kind of more relational, these second two are kind of more administrative. And right, we all have different gifts. That's what being the body of Christ is about. There's some who have really good relational skills, some who have administration, administrative skills, and both are incredibly needed. So we've grouped them together. Some of it's for Sunday administrative support and some of it's for weekday. And I'll talk first about Sunday. You know the old African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, right? You've heard that? I will tell you it takes a village to put on a church service. It really does. Like what's happening up here cannot happen with a whole lot of stuff happening out there from people who stand at the door and greet and make you feel welcome and know where the bathroom is and and hand you that bulletin and just do that work of making everybody feel welcome at home. It's the folks who sit behind that desk over there who get the lights on and the sound and the live stream so we can actually see and hear and participate in everything that's going on. Lord willing, when COVID numbers drop a little bit, we can open that kitchen window and serve coffee and cookies and and just give a reason to hang out. Because if there's food, you always hang out a little bit, right? And talk to each other. That's that's the goal, is that we're not just coming to to worship, but to connect with each other. So there's a lot that goes into making these services happen, and we need help to do it. And you here today get some breaking news because that uh, need is actually going to increase in the coming months. The session, after a lot of prayer and discussion and discernment, as we've come back after the fall and kind of figuring out how we do this whole thing and Forrester and COVID and all of that, we've decided we're making a slight change to our worship order and this change, or our worship schedule, I should say. And this change is going to start uh, with Advent. Uh, That's that last Sunday in November. We're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to have a 9 o'clock service in here. Uh, For Advent, that service is going to be a little more blended so we can integrate our traditions that we love of Christmas. But then starting in January, that's going to be a fully contemporary service. And then at 10.30, the same time, it's going to be a fully traditional service. There's a lot of reasons uh, that that, that we decided this together. Uh, One of which is just capacity. We know that a lot of people at Advent are come back for worship, but we know there's a lot of people who even the level that this room is filled right now, there's people who are uncomfortable with that, uh, that we, they need us to be able to spread out a little bit more. And so uh, we want to give that opportunity for, for everybody to come who wants to. 
The other reason is just the gifts and talents that do exist here at our church. We want to be able to let them fully be celebrated and flourished uh, for the way that they can be, both in the contemporary style and the traditional style. And we still want to be one church. Uh, that, that people can say, you know, I go to either service. I love them all, and I love all the people at all of them. Uh, but it just gives us a chance to do that more uh, excellently together. But all that to say, two services require to double the people to help make it happen. And so if you are going to be here Sunday morning anyway, if you feel like you can offer some gift of helping support the services happen, we would love that. The other piece is weekday support. Uh, you know, pretty much everything, again, everything that goes on that you see requires stuff happening in the background that you may never see. We are so blessed by the work that people give to, you know, sending out mailings and receiving phone calls and emails and just being a part of what happens in the background during the week. Without that, all the rest of the ministries wouldn't be able to do what they're doing. And so, again, if you have time to offer the gift of administration and support during the week, that would make a huge difference in our being able to continue our ministries throughout the week. I will close with this. Uh, I read a story this week of a, a, a little tiny church, a little rural church, uh, that they were taking an offering one Sunday morning and they brought the, the offering plate up front and the pastor looked at it and he saw that there was a $100 bill just sitting on top of the pile and he got kind of excited about that. And he said, okay, you guys, whoever, whoever gave this $100 bill, that's it's so amazing, it's so generous, I want you to come on forward, you're gonna get to pick the next three hymns. And pretty pleased with herself, this little old lady kind of made her way forward and came up to the front of the church and was just smiling from ear to ear, and she went, I'll pick him, and him, and him. Probably not a true story, but I thought it was funny. Here's the point. External rewards are not why we give. Whether it's going to increase our own wealth or our own reputation or get us a trophy spouse. That's not why we give. I will tell you that based on the scriptures, based on countless other people's experience, based on me and Dave's own experience, the reality is you cannot outgive God. You just can't. When you take what you have and you give it to the kingdom of God, God takes it and multiplies it and uses it for good out there, yes, but way, way more God uses it for good in here. That is just the new math of the kingdom of God. We get more than we give. When we invest our treasure in the places and people where God is alive, where God is at work, in those spaces where heaven touches down to earth, the return on that investment is immeasurable. So let's pray together. And I invite you as we pray to stand. So you can just stand where you are right now. And as we pray, as we have... Uh, done in the last several weeks, if you are comfortable doing so, I invite you to just open your hands before you as a posture both of surrender and receiving. For the truth is we cannot outgive God. God wants to pour out his blessing, his love, and his presence into our lives. So we come saying, yes, Lord. 
pour out into my heart, pour out into this church. Send your Holy Spirit among us and in us and through us that we might be the church that Jesus always intended, that we might be his hands of love, his feet going out to do good works, his mouth proclaiming the good news, his heart of love and compassion for all. Lord, make us more and more to be the body of Christ, woven together, needing every part and honoring every part in its difference, in its uniqueness, in its oneness. Lord, the reality is, as we come together as your body, there are parts of the body who are hurting today. That's just true. Anywhere any person is sitting, there is likely somebody sitting just a couple seats down who is deeply, deeply grieving today. So we pray for those. You know them by name. You know our anxious thoughts. You know our heart's heavy burdens. We pray for the ability to trust ourselves to you, to follow you step after step, even when the way seems dark. We pray for those whom we know and love, who are sick, who are suffering in any way, and pray your comforting hand be upon them as well. Lord, we pray for our world, and pray that you might use us to be agents of peace and justice and hope, wherever there is a need. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.